I'd like to welcome all of you this morning. I am Naya Swami Maria, and this is Naya Swami Ananta. And we're uh, blessed to have you here and to share in your energy this Sunday morning. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light. <clears throat> and these are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, based on the teachings of Paramhansa and written by Swami Kriyananda. And this is week number 38. Intuition is simple. The intellect is complex. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10, we read a passage that Yogananda often quoted. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. It has often been noted that a critical attitude tends to paralyze creativity. Good critics, for example, seldom produce works of creative genius, though their creations may be intellectually clever. The intellect separates, it analyzes, then puts things together again piece by piece. Intellect lacks intuition's flow, which descends smoothly like a river from the superconscious. Paramhansa Yogananda described intuition as the soul's power of knowing God. To receive the kingdom of God, Jesus was saying, one must do so with the openness and trust of a little child. Intellectuals may object to this statement saying, but there must also be discrimination. You wouldn't want a person to be so open-minded that his brain falls out. The truth is, however, that the intellect can be fooled even when it does its best to discriminate wisely. Only intuition is capable of penetrating to the heart of a matter and knowing truth from falsehood. It was the clear understanding of a child, not the elaborately persuaded intellects of his elders, that enabled the child, in Hans Christian Andersen's story, to cry out in surprise, Why isn't the emperor wearing any clothes? Therefore it was that Sri Krishna said in the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, To you who are free from the carping spirit, I shall now reveal wisdom sublime. Grasping it with your mind and perceiving it by intuitive realization, you shall escape the evils of delusion. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh.
I'd like to read a passage from Whispers from Eternity. This is a book that Master wrote. Demand for the rising of the aurora of intuition. Infinite spirit, thy presence is hidden equally behind the warm rays of the sun and the cool light of the moon. Those lights, though welcome and wonderful, reveal only Mother Nature's splendor in matter. They reveal not thee. To me, they are therefore darkness. Thy all-revealing, majestic, and supreme light shines not on, but from within the center of everything. Therefore, creating no shadows. Shadows in this world reduce light itself to non-light. In theory, I have known this. Now, Lord, take all darkness away from me. Wherever I sit, with eyes shut, enclosed in my own darkness, cause to blaze upon me in glory the aurora of intuition, that it suffused in its light I may gaze raptly on thee with worshiping eyes. Our topic is the uh, intellect is complex and intuition is simple. And uh, it's dangerous to talk about this in America. We are disciples of the intellect. We worship the intellect. We have newspapers and professors and politicians who fancy themselves intellectually astute. And we fill our time with them. But if you would... I'm going to ask you to do a little experiment here. Think of maybe the most uplifting moment in your life, or maybe a couple of them. And just for a moment, consider that experience. Maybe it was when you met your wife or husband, or maybe it's when you got married, or maybe it's when you met Swami Kriyananda. Maybe it's when they raised the flag at 9-11, while the whole world was going to hell, and four firemen put up the flag. Maybe it was Dr. King's speech a long time ago. But just for a moment, think of how you felt at that moment. Was that a moment of intellectual (laughs) completion? Was it like fulfilling a long equation, (laughs) coming up with the right answer? Likely not. (laughs) It's likely that the experiences that most inspire us and uplift us involve the dimension of the heart. And the experience, whether spiritual or emotional, of a connection with something greater. And that is a superconscious experience. It comes through intuition, not through the intellect. We are amazed by the intellect, we worship the intellect, but the intellect lets us down often, <laughs> a lot. And our most important spiritual experiences come not from the conscious mind but they come from the superconscious. They come from the connection, as Master put it, of the soul's power to know God. That is intuition. That is the key. And that is most likely the power of those most important moments in our lives. It is that power of realizing that you are connected to the infinite, that you are a part of all that is. That's intuition. It's the goal of our spiritual practice. And I'd like to tell you a story. Uh, 
about Swami Kriyananda. This happened on January 5th, 1993 or 94. I'm not sure which. Some of you were there. But Swami Kriyananda agreed to give the Master's birthday talk in Sacramento that year. And this was a big event for Ananda Sacramento because Swamiji uh, had great drawing power and Master's birthday had great drawing power always, whether Swamiji was there or not. So the combination was a big hit. What we did is we rented a big hall and we invited everyone to come. And a lot of disciples came. There was probably 300, maybe 350 people in this hall. And Swami Kriyananda came with us. We drove him there. And he said, I'd like to meditate a few minutes before the talk is given and the evening um, program is given. And so we gave him a little place uh, up on the stage in a big hall at Mather Air Force Base. And he sat there for a little bit and meditated. Meanwhile, myself and Maria, and I believe it was Trimurti and Lalita, we were the hosts of the evening. So we went out and we talked to the people and greeted them. And we had many visitors. We had the congregation there and uh, everyone came. And so I sort of acclimated with the conscious mind to who was here and what the audience was. Then Swamiji came out, choir sang, Master's birthday happened, Master's vibration was there as usual. Swami talked about Paramahansa Yogananda. It was an elevating and wonderful evening. At the end of the evening, we greeted people, and then Swamiji got in the car and went back to the community, which was just a mile away. Swamiji, we said, I said to him, Swamiji, people really appreciated the evening. He said, oh, that's good. There were a lot of people there. Most of them were disciples. There was a small group, about five or six, who were coming with a questioning mind as to whether I was really a good disciple. And he described word for word the audience that I had understood by the senses in talking to people. And Swamiji had an ability to blow me away, but he really blew me away with this one. I thought, how in the world, with eyes closed, in meditation, asking Master for power and for inspiration, could he know intimately the entire makeup of everyone in that audience? But then if you think about it, you realize that it's 1993. Kriyananda has been a disciple since 1948. He's been practicing every single day, trying to fulfill his guru's mission, which is to lecture and edit and write. And lecturing is part of what he did. And so he had become very, very good at it. Intuitively, he could tell people that he had, most of whom he had never seen. Now, some of you were there, and he had seen you, and he knew you. But for the vast majority of the people in that hall, he had never seen them before. And just by speaking to them from a podium above a large hall, he could tell exactly who was there by reading not their minds, but their hearts. What have they come for? What is their attitude? And it was really stunning. If you can imagine trying to do a demographic study of 300 people, asking them exit poll questions and jotting down, did you feel that Yogananda was a very good guru, a slightly good guru, positive? <laughs> what is your impression of Swami Kriyananda? Is he a very good disciple, a moderate disciple? On and on and on. This is the intellect, very complex. You possibly could compile some picture of who these people are. But Swamiji was revealed to him instantly, intuitively, who these people are. 
This is the power of intuition. Every one of us has it. Every one of us has to sharpen it. But if you think about the masters and you think about the saints, you have to remember that they live in an intuitive state. They live in the flow of Divine Mother's grace. What is this life flowing through my veins? Could it be other than divine? This is the reality of their consciousness. And this is the reality that we have to move towards daily as disciples. We, the intellect has its place, no doubt. I'm not going to argue against the intellect. I'll quote my grandmother, use your head for something besides a hat rack. <laughs> and <laughs> she cautioned us often on that. <laughs> A little old lady from Ireland. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, use your brain, yes, but your brain will not reveal God to you. Your heart will. Your intuition will. You have the power to know God. You have the power to feel love and divine consciousness all the time in everything that you do. How do we do it? Well, obviously, in meditation, in the deepest part of meditation, we still the mind and open the heart. That's the definition of meditation. That's also how intuition flows, as Maria read. We feel the divine consciousness. Remember that the divine consciousness is omnipresent. God is always with us. God's not just with us when we meditate. God's not just with us at Sunday service. God's not just on Ananda.org. He's on other websites. <laughs> But God is omnipresent, and therefore it's our problem that we're not aware of God. We need to use our intuition. In formal meditation, we still the mind. We use the techniques, Hong Saw. We use the Om technique. Master said that Om technique is especially important in sharpening and attuning your intuition. Why? Om is omnipresent. Om is the vibration throughout this world of duality and beyond the duality of God's presence. By listening to Om, we tune in to that constancy of spirit. And then, when we're done with our meditation, our job is to integrate that contact with spirit into our daily activity. It can be good to sort of slowly enter the day and ramp up to top speed uh, in the day-to-day -day world that we live in, but trying to hold on to the vibration of Om, the vibration of harmony, to become familiar with it, and then, bit by bit, to sharpen your perception of it so that you're constantly aware of Om, constantly aware of an undercurrent of harmony, an undercurrent of beauty, an undercurrent of love, an undercurrent of joy that's permeating this world. But we have to basically take the scope of our attention and lift it from the conscious realm, the thinking, the reasoning, the action-reaction, up into the superconscious flow, into that feeling of divine joy that is everywhere. But when you start to tune into it, you start to realize that it's more and more. I think that as you practice meditation over the years and the decades and the lifetimes, you become increasingly aware of God's omnipresence 
and you begin to recognize it more and more. I don't know at the end of Kriyananda's life how much time he wasn't aware of that. And that's all the stories that we hear about this ridiculous attunement to the situation, ridiculous attunement. How can you be that attuned? By practice, by meditation, by looking for the vibration of Divine Mother everywhere. And you start to see it, and it becomes more obvious to you, and you keep looking for it, and you recognize it more. And the world becomes increasingly different than the conscious thinking world that we encounter. We react to this and that. What's underlying it? How is God manifesting in this situation, even in bad situations? Because even in horrible situations, there's always a current of heroism or self-sacrifice. There's terrible floods. And what do people do? They put down their self-centeredness and they start to help people. It's unfortunate that it takes a flood for people to think about others, but this is the way Divine Mother's teaching us. You don't learn the easy way, we'll teach you the hard way. But we learn, we have to learn, because we're made of God. We're part of God. No one is separate than God. The soul's power of knowing God is inherent in all of us. So our intuition is really meant to be employed more. By meditation, we deepen it. By meditation on Om. Then in our daily lives, to look for the harmony and to use our intuition and recognize it. Really great professionals in every field almost always have an intuitive component to their success. Intuitive bankers know which loans to make. Intuitive realtors know which properties are hot ones to sell. Intuitive contractors know which jobs to avoid. My dad was an intuitive contractor. He used to stun me. I'd, I'd say, why aren't we bidding this job, Dad? My dad, he'd go, I don't know. I just don't, I don't like it. I don't have a good feeling about it. I'm like, Dad, what are you talking? I was, you know, 19 years old. You know, you're all intellectual. And I would see over and over again, something went bad with the financing. Something you couldn't have foreseen with the intellect. He'd just say, I don't, I don't like it. It did. <laughs> I just, it took me a while to get it. Intuitive actors, intuitive directors, intuitive musicians, intuitive database builders. I mean, it really is. When you work with someone who's like ridiculously good at computers, they have an intuitive sense and then they fill it in with their intellectual. Make your intellect support that. Also, use your introspection. The end of the day, Take a look at how the day went and note what went badly and, and look and see, did you have any intuitive hint that that was a train wreck about to occur? Yes, you did. Most of the time, you have a feeling. If you introspect and look at it, I often discuss this with Prakash because we fix uh, a heavy equipment and, and sometimes he'll say, I had a feeling that that O-ring was going to go bad, you know? And we, because it's part of our teachings is to look at our world. It doesn't matter what you are. In relationships, in counseling, in everything. Just at the end of the day, introspect and say, well, did it, was there any feeling that this was going to go as wonderfully as it did or as badly as it did? The answer is yes. And as you tune into that more and more fully, more subtly, 
as Kriyananda did with speaking, with audiences, with writing. You do it. You can do it. You will feel more and more that divine consciousness. You'll realize, as Master said, intuition's never wrong. So it's us just catching our intuition correctly that makes it always right. And subtly, we become used to a vibration that is harmonious. We become used to a vibration that is uplifting. We become used to seeing and feeling divine love on all levels. It totally changes our perspective. We realize, and it moves us towards self-realization, to realize that we're omnipresent. Om is omnipresent. We do this chant. We do this chant because your real name is Om. You're omnipresent. You're all-pervading. That consciousness becomes integral to how each day is experienced. Master said, self-realization is the knowing in body, mind, and spirit that you're now in possession of the kingdom of God. That you don't need this to come to you. You already have it. You just need to improve your knowing. You improve your knowing by intuition. You improve your knowing by meditation. You improve your knowing by watching this universe from the point of view of a master. It's a good exercise. Master said to read uh, samadhi every day, but to visualize yourself in samadhi. Tranquil, unbroken thrill, eternally living, ever new peace. What if that was your day, every day? It comes. It comes. <laughs> it comes in time. It's tranquil, unbroken thrill, maybe, more and more, longer duration, greater extent, more and more. It becomes the reality that you're not seeing it from the point of view of the intellect. You're seeing everything from the point of view of the soul. And this is all God playing. And there is a tranquil, unbroken thrill. It's underneath. It takes some time, yes. But it begins at the very beginning. When Master described Kriya Yoga, he said that the um, pleasant effects which accrue from Kriya from the very beginning, are its hallmark. Well, from the very beginning of your practice, there are moments when you have a great meditation. And then when you're beginning, maybe you don't have always a great meditation, but with practice, the intuition becomes your default perception of the universe. Love becomes the place that you start, and unlove, if that's a word, <laughs> hatred, uh, friction, tension, these become notable exceptions to the tranquil, unbroken thrill. This would be master state. You know, wait, let me go into samadhi. Okay. <laughs> you know, I don't know that he was ever out of samadhi. I think it was a trick question. But you get the point. You will achieve that. You will achieve it because it's your nature. You can't not achieve it. It's only a matter of your intuition rising on the horizon of your mind and living in that light at all times. God bless you all.